Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Roots Podcast. I am your host, Sean Pitcher. Um, today, we are lucky to have on Anthony Paradis. He is the Director of Olympic Sports Nutrition at the University of South Carolina. Anthony, welcome. Thanks for having me, Sean. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, today, we're going to dive into um, something that Anthony's very passionate about. He has a book called Elevating Sports Nutrition on his website, which is Elevate Human Performance. Um, he has a lot of great topics that are within that ebook. So if it's something you definitely want to look into to help your department, help yourself develop and help kind of maybe tie up some of these things that you may struggle with in your specific sports nutrition space. Um, I think it's definitely a great resource you guys could utilize. Um, we're not, we're not gonna be able to touch on every single part of the book, but I think definitely getting a high level view of some of these topics can be definitely beneficial. Before we get to that point, Anthony, can you just tell the viewers who is Anthony Paradis? Yeah, sure. Um, and I go by Anthony or Tony interchangeably. So some people might know me as, as either one, but, uh, you know, a little bit about my background is that, uh, I'm married, um, got two dogs, live in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and I've, I've lived all over, uh, the South, born in Colorado, Tennessee, Texas, California. Um, and now with the nature of my job, right, you tend to move, uh, every so often with sports, um, you know, I was never maybe you would call it like a natural athlete, but I was always interested in being active in athletics. Um, I'm a big outdoorsman. I've done some long distance through hikes. When the one year I hiked a 500 mile through hike through the Colorado Trail. Oh wow! Uh, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was wild, wild time. It took me 32 days. Uh, went that... by myself. It was, uh, but I met some great people along the way. Uh, competed on American Ninja Warrior. No, I didn't win. Uh, didn't even make it past the first stage. It was it was fun. Uh, you know, I've done the eating competition. I just like I just like obscure things and and food and nutrition and uh, and exercise. Um, but you know, my hobbies are you know, mostly outdoors, gardening, camping, backpacking, that sort of stuff. Anytime I get a chance, I like to go outside and get what I call tree hat and out in the trees, and everything just feels a little bit better. So. What's funny, you mentioned that um, a previous mental conditioning coach I worked with at the last uh, facility I was at, um, one of the things he actually did with our athletes, specifically our soccer team, is he literally walked them around where the fields were, where there was kind of more nature, for example, and just got them to listen to the sounds, see the things that were around them, just put them in a, in a different kind of position where you're away from your phones, you're away from the coaches, you're away from anything. Um, and I think those different types of hobbies that you've listed, right, can definitely be very helpful for for mental clarity and just getting yourself away from all the media and, and, and the text messages and the emails and just providing yourself almost a getaway to with yourself, your thoughts and putting yourself in a position where it's just like, all right, I can, here's a spot or a place I can kind of be free for once. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, Sean. You know, we have, uh, you know, 100,000 year old bodies and we're using 100 year old technology uh, you know we were really meant to be in that sort of setting there's something to it there are some research out there that tries to measure and extrapolate out exactly what the benefit is for us but i think that anybody who does that sort of stuff knows the freedom of not having a cell signal and being out in nature and the purity of it um, is something that everybody needs to experience probably more often than they get to. Yes, I would agree. I mean, it's it's always going to obviously be a big challenge with with how 
how busy our lifestyles are in an athletics field. Um, so to kind of transition to that, I know before you came to the University of South Carolina, you were at Tennessee Tech for about five years. And I'm sure a lot of the topics we'll talk about that's within your book, I'm sure came from that specific experience there. You know, I've watched you from afar and I know from what it seems and looks like you started that program from from scratch, was it? Yeah. So, um, you know, and it, just backtrack just a little bit. You know, when I first started off as a sports dietitian, there weren't really a lot of sports dietitian jobs. I've been doing this for almost 13 years now. So when I started, I was in private practice. So I did that for about five years. And so I built that nutrition program from the ground up. Uh, then when I went to Tennessee Tech, they had never had a sports dietitian before. So again, I built that program. And then here at South Carolina, uh, I'm the first director of Olympic nutrition. It always been sort of a split thing between, uh, you know, football and the other sports. Uh, but being able to be fully immersed in my duties with the Olympic sports, we've been able to grow this program a lot too. And I can't take you know, full credit for that because I have a great assistant director, you know, Jeremy Ford, who's over our basketball and uh, volleyball program. And um, I have an operations man manager, Madison Birch, who helps me with a lot of the ordering, receiving, uh, and those sorts of things. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's how I got started in the collegiate scene. And uh, did that for about five years. So I decided it was time to move on. What What do you see the, you know, obviously there's a lot of FCS versus obviously the, the, the higher value um, division one universities. What's kind of been your transition from that lower division one to obviously the SEC, which is obviously a very, let's say high, stressful, very talented athletes. Like what's the difference between the two transitioning from that? Well, I, I would say that, Obviously, at the mid-majors and the lower levels, you don't have as many resources. Mm -hmm. So you have to get more creative in how you solve problems uh, for your program with your athletes. Uh, but one thing that I've always you know, mentored other dietitians on is that education is something that costs next to nothing, and it's something that we just simply don't do enough of. Um, and that is you know, going to be really what you lean on in a mid-major university is having those individual counseling sessions, scheduling your team talks, figuring out a way to, in the areas that the athletes eat and practice, you know, put information up in front of them, whether it be a poster uh, or you develop podcasts. There's a lot of different ways or modalities to do that. Um, but what I would challenge people to do is to take it very seriously and measure uh, the impact that you have at that level. So you can use things like quizzes, post-retrospective assessments uh, to say, hey, was there actually a transfer of knowledge from my brain into the athletes? And did that change their level of knowledge? Did it change their behaviors? And then, of course, you can see if it changes their key performance indicators. We all want to say, yeah, we went and did this nutrition talk and everybody gained more muscle mass. But you can also assess if they gain knowledge, if they change behavior, and then if they gain that, because you're going to need that sort of depth uh, to act, help you to uh, be a better practitioner. So that's one thing, you know, resources and then leaning heavily on education. Uh, but it's also a great opportunity to, you know, for people to learn how to use less resources and how to be resourceful. 
so some of the things that you know we did was we started an ag the athlete program where we got our agriculture department to grow some food that we used at our fueling station uh, at Tennessee Tech. Um, I wrote a grant with the NCAA and we were awarded $20,000 to serve that grant and I pumped that back into the program and we'll be able to buy snacks as an incentive for the athletes to complete an education program. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that we did like very creatively to solve that. And then when you move on to a, a Power Five conference, you know, here in the SEC, um, it's you, you look at things a little differently than if you came from, you know, Alabama, right? Uh, and you're used to that sort of money and resources. Um, you know, there's something to be said about getting, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also a skill set to be had in, in having less and being able to solve problems on those levels. So I think that's something more unique that I've been able to bring to the table here uh, in the SEC is rather than say, all right, we're going to build a big monolith, you know, fueling station and we're going to do this. It's like, how do we get to the essence of a problem and solve it on that, on that level? And for me, that's informed from being in private practice and from being at a mid-major, as, as well as utilizing the resources, you know, that we have here um, to, to have a more, you know, kind of holistic approach to what we do. And it's a lot of great points, and I'm going to kind of work off of that, but what you just basically said there at the end is you come into that situation now, you're going to also know how to more effectively utilize your budget and how I can stretch it and how I can get more out of it and what can we actually do with this first. I'm going to spend all my budget on this one item or a new fueling station. Well, we can do five different things with this that are newer and it's going to provide the athlete with maybe some things that they did not have before that's going to benefit behavior change, having certain items in their environment. All those are going to be super important. Um, but the one point I wanted to go back to was, you know, you mentioned being at a lower level. I can definitely relate there when I was at Buffalo State um, and my football career ended, I transitioned into strength conditioning as an intern there. And Buffalo State is a Division three school, right? If, if anyone's ever coached or played or, or been at a Division three level, I mean, you're lucky if you have a strength coach and like one athletic trainer. Um, so to that point, there's a lot of stuff I feel that you can learn skill-wise, behavior-wise, that you have to adapt and do because if you don't learn some of these other factors or key things, you're probably not going to have that resource available otherwise to take you to whatever level you want to get to at that division three level. And I think again, from what it sounds like what you've done and, and myself as well, learning and being more creative and working with very minimal items definitely helps a lot when you get to the next level, because when all those different optical things come up, right. It's like, Oh, I don't have the resources. Well, I have several solutions for that rather than, okay, I'm from Alabama and then I come to a lower level. Well, I don't have the money, so then what do I do? Yeah, I'm used to having a money printer in the basement, and and now what do I do, right? Exactly. Um, also, another point I like there as well is, you know, you talked about basically with, with your assessments or collecting almost essentially data from the athlete. Um, that's something I've invested in a lot more from the previous position I was at. I now have like a one-on-one -on -one nutrition assessment that we utilize in our SmarterBase system to track nutrition knowledge, hydration, sleep, and then also uh, what I call their fueling timeline, essentially. Um, so that way from assessments to assessment, I'm able to track if there's improvements, have they maintained, have they gotten worse? You know, they get an overall score, 
but then we also track each individual section to see, you know, where are they still having issues that we need to find a variety of solutions? Um, how does this athlete specifically learn? Because maybe talking to them isn't what it is. Maybe I have to do something on a whiteboard. Maybe it's a PowerPoint. Maybe it's, I have to do an infographic. Again, we, we all know athletes are all going to learn something a little bit differently. Um, and that's something, a question I was going to ask you there is, have you found like from sport to sport, the way you've had to educate them has been different or from school to school or private practice to different schools you've been like, I'm assuming you probably had to use a, a lot of different strategies. It really isn't a cookie cutter approach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that every program is different. And then as you start to settle into the program, you understand the culture that the coach and the, that's surrounded by the team and what you can or maybe shouldn't talk about and what might be better for a group setting or an individual setting. And there's, there's a lot of nuance to that, right? You just have to dig in and, and start getting that experience. But, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, educational domains, right? Um, and and there, there was a really good kind of earlier uh, publication on that. Uh, that I based my model off of, and I, I believe that they put it in the four buckets. One was, you know, basic nutrition education, right? For example, how, how to read a food label. A food label. Uh, two would be uh, basic, um, like cooking skills, right? So that's where we do like the grocery store tours, or we show them how to do a food demo, or something like that. And then the other two are uh, sports performance timing, and then like. Uh, you know, body composition development for like, like the long term. Did that article, sorry to cut you up, did that article have, it was almost like a diagram and it had yeah. like, so I think when you posted that, I had messaged you a long time ago and that's the last facility I was at. That was where we developed almost our behavioral or nutrition assessment based off of that. And that also, yeah. the, the assessment one-on-one -on -one sheet that I've created um, also stemmed off of that as well. So appreciate a long time ago when you put that up and we looked at that was super helpful and it's kind of really transitioned to some of the stuff that I do now. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's, that's what I'm all about. And that's why I wrote this book is because, um, you know, I'm trying to elevate how, what we do with sports nutrition. And so if you follow me on LinkedIn or, or you, you get my book or whatever, anytime I figure something out that's useful, I, I always post it because, uh, you know, we're, we're not in competition with each other. We're trying to like share and to build each other up. And that's where I find a lot of joys through mentorship and sharing and that sort of thing. And then, you know, you were talking about how you guys did a lot of more assessments and you're, you're measuring stuff in your, um, in your, your athlete management software and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, I just want to take a step back and say that what you're doing and, and with other people doing that, like that's, us getting ready for yep. the next level of sports nutrition where we're going to see dietitians being more fairly compensated being more appreciated not just you know programs churning these people up and spitting them out and people getting burnt out after two or three years and going into supplement sales or or leaving to go to the military or or whatever they do because um once you collect all that data you now have the ability to write an impact report. And you're able to actually show and quantify what you're doing with the athletes, uh, your workload, the impact that you're having, the key performance indicators, and put it all in a way that you know really helps to elevate the profession. 
when I started off like, you know, like 10 years ago and, you know, I was like seeking out mentors and CSBA, you know, I like a very common message was like, well, you, you just got to be present. You got to go to all the practices and you have to be willing to work, you know, late shift. And, and when you receive something, you got to be the one that makes the fueling station work, look nice. And you got to be everybody's buddy. And, you know, I mean, basically the, the message was when you get there, find the asses and kiss them, you know. And, and now we're at a point where it's like, look, I understand the importance of CrossFit. I understand the importance of going to practice and, of, you know, really developing relationships. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Yep. But now that we're 20 years into, you know, programs having collegiate sports dietitians, that's, that should just be expected. Like that's that's a, a very baseline sort of thing, and you can't just hang your hat on that. You have to get more aggressive about uh, you know the way that you implement your program, the measuring of it, the outcomes, the goals, the objectives, and put it all together in a model, and be able to build off of that. It's a real shame when people leave their program, they hire another dietitian, but they start from scratch, and it's all just about relationship building again. You have an EHR. Somebody else comes in your role. These are all the sessions that we've had with the clients. This is what we've been doing with the team. They have actually something that they can build upon that. We're not just building capital out of the sand. So I think that some, you know, it's it's easy to get sucked into that because what coaches see you do is what they think you do. Yep. And when they see you at the fueling station or whatever. And then you know, a lot of people they don't come into the program are like, well, the other dietitian made us PBJs. The other dietitian took this breakfast and, and went to Sam's Club for us and did those sorts of things. And that's, I mean, I'm sure you, you've probably either talked to or listened to Pratik Patel on multiple occasions, but we just fall into that role where we're just food service people. And that's, and like you just said there, that's all anyone ever sees is, oh, they buy me my meal, they make me my snacks, they hand a smoothie out to me at, at the fueling station. But there is so much more behind the scenes that we do that a lot of times coaches and staff and individuals do not see that allows anything that is around fueling, hydrating, that goes way beyond just those couple of things to even make all of that work at the end of the day. And, you know, when you get to that point, it's like, you have to be able to prioritize, you have to be able to delegate some of those specific things that you talked about, right, where that's where I know, you know, part of your book talks about developing an internship program, right? Yeah. We also run to, I think, a lot of traps where some dietitians, that's the only thing their interns learn. So then when they get another position to get an assistant or another position, that's the only thing they know to do. They don't know a lot of the other roles and things. That, and I'm not saying that all dietitians don't teach their interns because that's not 100% correct. I, I think we're getting better as a, as a profession. But, you know, your interns should be doing, let's say you have an intern for 40 hours a week. They should be doing 20 hours of breath work. And then the other 20 hours is development in this higher level skills. And I break I break it down in my book in the program. I recommend that I do, we do, you do. First, they start off watching you do, you know, the sessions and, and the behind the scenes work. Then you kind of work with them and coach them. Maybe you allow them to educate and then you assign them some sort of capstone project um, that they do. And, and like with the food service, um, you know, I provide solutions, for example, in in my work about how to automate some of that so i talk about how to go to a commercial food supplier 
and work up a contract so that you can get all that food delivered to your program at a cheaper price, have it brought right to the team. And now you, how much, how many hours do you freak yourself up on having to go to Sam's You know, I talk about how to develop an EHR, how to get an EHR, right? Now the one we use is healthy. Uh, practice better is one that you see a, a lot of people using too, but that's not just for private practice. You can use that on a mass scale because how much time do you spend making appointments? Hey, does this time work for you? No, this time doesn't work for me. How about this time? It's like, here's my calendar, click on it, add yourself in. This is my availability. And yep. it sends them a text and email reminder the day before and the day of. You know, I have a lot less disappointment because yep. you're actually embracing technology and, and leaning into that. And that's what we didn't learn in school. So yep. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get that conversation, you know, more out there and more obvious for people that like this is just something that we we need to do. It's funny you mentioned that. That was something else. The last place I used, I worked. We had we had leadership coaches, but one of our leadership coaches, because again, we it takes a lot of time scheduling stuff with people. If we're talking about that specific point, and he he gave me something very similar to that, and then it's just like here's the link. Here's when I'm open. You pick it. I'm gonna know when you pick it, and then I'm gonna expect you to show up. But now I don't got to spend extra time going back and forth between that individual to try to figure out when's going to be the best time for both of us. Like, here's my open time slots. You can either make it or not make it, or we got to look to something in the future. Yeah. And the athletes, right. In the age group that they're in right now, they're used to doing that. They're used yep. to going online and ordering food or buying a video game or whatever they do automatically. And uh, they're very, they're very good at that. Um, they're not so good at maybe the old school communication and software skills and, and emailing and all that. Uh, we know, right? Hey, have you checked your email? I never check my email. Well, you know, you're you're in college. Maybe you should look at that maybe once a week, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're it's like half of you is like wanting to adapt and how the culture and athletes and everything is moving and utilizing obviously the technology to the best of our ability because that's what everyone's shifting towards. But there's obviously that challenging part for us as practitioners. Some of that basic communication is also being left to the wayside too. Like, all right, I know you're looking at your phone, but can you even just respond for, for a text message? Like some athletes also have challenging times just even talking to you face to face because they're so used to messaging and talking behind the screen at times. Um, so there's a lot of those. It's like, here's all the benefits. Here's all the challenges. How do I come up with a solution to marry both in between? Right. So that one, they're always on their phone. So let's try to push as much information to where they're most likely going to be on. But two, how do I help save some of those skills that are still really necessary, but maybe getting lost in the shuffle? Yeah. And like, you know, for me, you know, what I strategically do is like I eat at, I eat lunch at the dining hall with the athletes every single day because that is my face time. And that's a time to get them to know I can trust me or to you know have an impromptu session or something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, I do go to the practices, but I go I go to the, a practice just long enough that all the athletes see me there and they see that the dietitian is watching them and involved in them, that the coaches and the staff see me being present. And then I'm, you know, at some point move on to the other team. So I'm there for maybe 15 minutes, yep. but I got 11 other teams that I got to go check on. And so, um, you know, you, it, it is important to do that and to let that be a big chunk of your time. Uh, but it doesn't like, there comes a point of diminishing return. When you're there at the practice, they see that you're present, and then that that feeling has been established, that connection has been made, and then you're going to hang out another 45 minutes, 
Um, so there's also like yes. what, what I call and when I coach people opportunity cost. Yes, this is important and you're doing this, but what are you not doing when you're making smoothies? Smoothies are important, but, but what do you give up when you, when you spend 20 hours a week made, making smoothies? I yeah. think dietitians, the biggest key performance indicator should be how many individual sessions do I have with athletes and how many group sessions do I have with the team? Now you can add in other things that make sense for your program, but you know those are like the two biggest things. Um, and for example, for me, with my you know delegation automation um, elimination program that I, I put in the book, uh, I've been able to have uh, just under 200 individual appointments with athletes just this semester. Um, you know, with 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 the way that I do it, which is and that shows a huge, a huge impact. I mean, you, you go to a coach and say, Hey, I met with 50, 60% of your athletes one yeah. on one, or even if it's not even just one on one. Like I had a quick chat. It's like, Oh, I, I had no clue you did that. And then that's where you can then talk with the other practitioners you work with the strength coach, the athletic trainer, the sports science, maybe the sports psychology, right? Everyone's information is going to basically translate over to something else. in one of those other different practitioners fields that even if you only spent one, two, three times, or you text messages like back and forth, like once a week, and that results in a difference in, in one of the other practitioners realms. Like now you're getting the trust and relation from the practitioner and the athlete. And then obviously now you have the athlete and the practitioners are now then talking to the coach and saying like, Hey, this one, these couple interventions or a couple of discussions I had with Anthony has now led to, you know, less injuries, less being sick, being on the court more, or, Essentially, the you know the performance overall has increased, and I've seen that at practice. And it's all it's all a domino effect. At the end of the day, everyone's going to see those little changes after a while, and how it's going to benefit them. And then that's hopefully them pushing more athletes specifically to you to allow you to hopefully have a better impact because now they have seen what you've done. And a lot of times, it's just getting those small, quick, easy wins is usually what makes the big difference. Yes, and being systematic about it so that you you have a plan and you have your objectives and you put a little bit in each bucket and you're able to accomplish that. So like our client management software is our EHRs, it makes it easy to do that report. We can look by team, how many sessions that we have, and then we can go and talk to the coach, talk to the administrators. Um, but I also want to go a little bit deeper and say, you know, the qualitative aspect of that is important too. So, you know, keep track of, um, of that. This is, this is an easy tool that I use. At the end of, you know, maybe a semester, um, I, I give out a little index card to the team and I say, on the front half, I want you to write one thing you really liked that we did this year. And then on the bottom half, write something you would have liked to be different or more. And on the back of that, what's one thing that you would say to an incoming recruit about our nutrition program? And then at the, after I get all of that, that what would you say to the recruit? I put all that together in a list and I provide that to the coach. And I'm like, hey, this, this is you know some of the message that you can give during recruiting. I also try to be part of recruiting, but like 500 athletes. And, okay. Yeah, it's a you, 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 if you have time, I'll step into it and I'll, I'll try to help you out, coach. But if, if I don't, like I can, yeah, like you said, I can at least give you some of these tidbits that athletes have said about it. So even if you need a reference to an athlete or you need a reference to, hey, half the team said this about the nutrition program, that gives you some firepower, whether you're there or not there, but it's still at least known and being communicated out to whoever's coming in. Yeah. And, and so that helps. So you have your, 
you know, your quantified information, how many sessions do we have, uh, you know, what was our injury rate, what was our illness, whatever you put together. And then you have, and these are what the athletes are saying. This is how many recruiting meetings I went to. This is how many practices of yours I attended. This is what they would, they would tell. And, and that paints a much deeper picture, a much thicker description of what you're doing. And, you know, nowadays we see strength coaches making $500,000, almost a million dollars in like the biggest program. Uh, but the dietitian at that program might be making under 100K. They're not yep. great figures yet. Uh, it's going to take when people realize, hey, having a strength coach made football team good, the dietitian, we're going to accelerate that process by um, taking more of kind of like a, a leadership role, not to coming to, you know, food service and being the sandwich maker and being able to illustrate exactly what we do. Um, so that's, you know, I, I'm excited to help people like realize that that in themselves that they can be much more like in a director position, you should be doing director level things. Yes. And, um, and, and that's what, what I try to help people um, kind of pull that out of them. And it's, look, I'm not, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. There's, you know, probably most people listening to this podcast, like you're already smarter than me. You know, I just taking the time to kind of put it down. I'm probably going to tell you a lot of stuff that's already like obvious to you. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of in a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, the, the other big thing to take away from that too is like strength, practice, games, physically breaking the body down. Well, guess what? We're the other half of that. Yeah. If the kid's not eating and the kid's not hydrating and the kid's not sleeping, this results you see on the field every day isn't going to be optimized in 100%. So if, if you think if you don't have this, this this over here is not going to happen on the other yeah. side. Like, like and that's what I tell our coaches and athletes. You have to recover twice as hard as you train because yeah. at the end of the semester, only the strong will survive. Yeah, if, if you spend two to four hours a day training, what are you doing the other 20 to 22 hours? Or if you look at sleep, hydration, and fueling, and I've, I've used this a lot with coaches and staff and athletes, if you think about your given day of 24 hours, you're spending 10 to 15 hours doing those three things. So if right. any of those go to the wayside or any of those aren't being capitalized on, it's going to have some type of negative effect on how your performance is going to be, how you feel, how you look, your body language, whatever it specifically may be, like it's going to affect it and it's never going to stop. So either Absolutely. you're investing in it now or it's going to be a struggle later. Yeah. And, and you know, it. it's intuitive. I know it, right? And that's one thing that I don't cover in my book is like, you know, how many grams of creatine your athlete should be taking or nutrition timing or whatever. Like you're the expert in that already. You know, all, all I'm trying to say is like, hey, take all that. And, you know, we, we know how to do that on an individual level. Well, how do you expand that to four or 500 athletes? How do you do that in a way that lets you not get swallowed up and, and still able to, uh, to be a director? So, you know, nothing that I go over is, is stuff that you'll get in the yellow book when you're studying for your CSSD, you know, you, you know that you're the expert and you can also access that, right? Um, it's, it's more the program development and the, um, and, and the personal development that I think is, um, you know, something maybe we just don't get done. It's, it's a lot of the stuff that is taught on the job with another practitioner who's right. competent in doing that. For, well, again, I'll say just because someone's experienced and been doing it for a long time doesn't also always equate that they're going to be competent and be able to show the intern, the fellow, the G, what they're going to, what they need to do. But some people are really great practitioners and really lousy leaders. Yep. 
and, and not everyone's made to be a leader. So it's, that's where like, as, as yourself, like you have to be able to accept your faults and then also know what you're really strong at. And that's why, and I'm sure you talk about this from the, from the interview perspective, right? Like, all right, if I know what my weaknesses are, who am I looking for in the hiring process that's going to match those weaknesses and bring them up that allows yeah. Yeah. Me to be able to have a good complement to what I do. And then if I'm really strong in the week of something else, well, hopefully then I'm really strong in that and then I can help them where they're weak and either, you know, maybe we're never going to make the weakness my, my best strength, but at least either we can teach each other how to improve those skills from one another where we're having trouble with it. Yeah. I mean, in my, for example, my assistant director, you know, he's, he's like a clinical level genius, right? He does like the, the salivary hydration tests and he gets down to the nitty gritty and, and is able to do that because I'm taking care of more of the, uh, like the director level stuff. And like, we, we just complement each other really well. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, when you're looking at building your team, that you should, the operations person should, should be, and, I, and Matt Frakes at LSU is, is doing that, like with the whole program. And so I, I really feel like, you know, even though I'm not talking about this, right, um, just because I have a good model doesn't mean that everybody in my program right now is ready to move as fast as like other programs. Uh, but like, look at what Matt Frakes is doing at LSU and, and or Dr. Frakes, and, and he's, you know, he's really killing it. I, I, I hope to see more programs go he's, that sort of model. He's just setting the standard. It's, it's funny because me and Matt met when we were, were both in Ohio and then he went to Ole Miss and he's like, Hey, they got a GA position down here. And I was, the, he was able to connect me to get a GPA GA position down there. So I know of him for quite a, quite a long time and seeing where he, he was to how quickly he's progressed to where he is now. He's, you know, not taking any BS when it comes to getting paid what he's worth. He yeah. knows what, a, like you said, what a program needs to look like and how it needs to be established. You know, he's now working with a staff that are working interdisciplinary, not working in silos and knowing that each component of those, the athletic trainer, the strength, the nutrition, sports, like whatever it is, sports science, they all know that each of them are going to play a part to putting out the best product of the athlete out there. And then they have obviously a coach that's a coach in school that's investing in them and has seen the benefits of that. So it's like yeah. all those different components all coincide at one time right it, it puts together like the ideal program and image that you would like to see most dietitians try to get to so i mean that's where one whether he's educating other dietitians or him educating other practitioners to then hopefully educate those people within their specific realm to show like this is how it is this is how it could be done and you utilizing those staff members to the best of your ability instead of just thinking you could do it all yourself because you've been doing it all yourself for X amount of years, let's grow a little bit. Cause that's not going to be the most ideal or perfect way to do it. Like we got to work together if we want to maximize our abilities and maximize what we can get out of the athletes at the end of the day. Cause you don't have a long time with them now. You it don't. could be a year. It could, they transfer out three yeah, weeks. Thing. Yeah. Or you have them five years. Rapidly. Like who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, I say um, always have a plan, but never have a schedule. Because if, if you have a schedule, things are just going to change. So, you know, have a map, have a program, have a model, and and be flexible. And um, so, anyway, so, uh, so Sean, it looks like we got about two minutes left. Uh, so how are we going to uh, uh, proceed? So, so uh, definitely lots more stuff we could talk about. So we, we might go on to a part two here. One thing I just want to finish off with is 
could you give the audience what's maybe one person you would recommend, um, whether it's dietitian, strength coach, smart scientist, whoever it is, one person you think that someone should go follow and talk to right now or reach out to that could have an instant impact in the program. Obviously, you're going to be somebody with the stuff that you're putting out right now. We talked about obviously Matt as well, but is there anyone in your mind right now like would be the go-to person for that? So not a person, but a program. So the SHPN, the Sports and Human Performance Nutrition BPG, formerly known as SCAN, right, has split off and now it's just sports nutrition specific. I have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, a member in that and a lot of my mentors, right, are NFL dietitians, uh, Olympic diet, like, like the best of the best. Get involved in the shipping uh, DPG. And if, if you're a registered dietitian, I think it's like $13, like $20 to like be a member and start, you know, networking with these people, take a volunteer position. And when you start hanging out in a room where everybody has more experience uh, than you and, and more answers, that's where you're really going to grow. Not when you're the biggest fish in the pond, you got to jump into a new pond. So the people that I would recommend, if I did have to drill down, are in that group. So, so that's my final thought. That's what I would recommend. Awesome. Anthony, it was great to have you on. Again, if you'd like to get his ebook, go on Elevate Human Performance. If you'd like to contact him, we're going to put his contact information and my contact information in the bio below. Um, again, if this everyone liked this podcast and would like to see more him discuss or talk more about his book, because there's a lot of topics we didn't talk about, um, definitely reach out to him or I, and we can make that happen. Appreciate you, Anthony. Thanks, Sean, and help Sean out. Share this podcast.